You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We see in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, we see this concept of in Christ so much. And we really don't, I think we blow right through it. We say, blah, 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 in Christ, blah, 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 in Christ. Blah, blah, blah. Do you realize that Paul says the, the phrase in Christ 200 times? Actually, a little bit more than that. Just in Ephesians, he's got it 34 times. And about 18 of those are just in the first chapter. So this concept of who we are in Christ is so fundamental that what it's telling us is, is the notion of the union with Christ that carries the dimension and the, and, and, and the theological significance of those that are in Christ, we identify and we have, we have a realistic, I mean, it's, a, it's a real thing that we identify and we are part of the burial, the, 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 the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the lordship and the glory of Jesus in communion with him. All of those have come to us and part of us. So when you go to the Old Testament and you see the very beginning and you see how God was in union with Adam and Eve and then you see this terrible, colossal crash. A lot of people go, oh, well, they eat some fruit. The, the whole world changed. The cosmos changed. The planet changed because of that. And so something horrible happened. But we keep seeing the consistent, consistent, I am your God. You are my people, and I choose to dwell with you. I am your God. I am your people, and I choose to dwell with you. And so then he gives them something that's so fundamentally new. He gives them his promise, his word. Then he gives him his law, his word. And so then we come into the age of the Messiah, and we read in 1 John, in the, in the beginning was the word. The logos, the logic, the truth has come. And it's face to face with God. It is God. So that the word is inseparable from God. And the, the, the logos becomes flesh. And what does the logos do? It dwells with us. The promise of the Old Testament, the will of God keeps moving through. And now when it comes to this point here, we're in Christ that God is our God, we are his people, and he dwells in us, in Christ. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. When you read Ephesians, which one we have up there? Let's start with Ephesians. Maybe we won't. Okay. Ephesians 2, I've, I've used this before. I just love Ephesians 2 so much. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Raised up with him, raised and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. There's something that, that about that, though, that in this incredible love and theology that I always missed. 
what I always missed was it was a relationship. You know, theology won't get you in the heavenly realms. It'll help keep you there, but it won't get you there. Theology, it's, it's like if, if, if you're about to get married, and so I come over and I give you a book all about marriage. It has all the do's and don'ts. You got to be here. You got to be there. Don't do this. Please do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. And so you read this book and you go, I'm ready to get married now. If that's all you've got, you're not going to make it back from the honeymoon. <laughs> because marriage is all about that loving relationship. Now, all those little rules help keep it together, but that's not what is fundamental to this relationship. Well, the same thing is true with our relationship with Christ. I can't get in Christ and Christ in me without relationship. When you look at uh, when Jesus, right before in his last moments, and you see him praying. Now, it's oftentimes referred to as the prayer for the apostles, but us, that we in Christ are apostles. So it's a prayer for us. And I'm, it's a little bit, tiny bit long, but I think it's worth really pausing and reading what he says. This is in John 17, 22 through 26. They oftentimes have it called their future glory. The glory which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one, just as we are one. He's talking to the Father and he's talking about us. So that I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. He's just put the par, love of Jesus equal to the love of us. Father, I also desire that, that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. The glory that Moses is dying for, begging for, and he says, I'll show you my goodness. That's ours now. Oh, righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known, you, known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which, with which you love me may be in them and I in them. I can't read anything that's not a bigger testament to a relationship of love than that. Every aspect of Jesus and the Father melds into one and he brings us into it. Think of it as, a, as like a weaver or, or um, knitter. And you're putting all these different threads in to make this beautiful sweater. And it looks just like Charlie Brown's sweater. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But that's what's happening. It's, it's interwoven. You can't separate one from the other because it's a, that's the way it is. And you know, that's really the way a beautiful marriage is. And it's just amazing how that can grow that way. Quite frankly, I have no idea why my wife married me. I think it's only because it took her about a year to figure out how to say, you're a nutcase, get me out of here, and we were already married. So, <laughs> but, and now when you have Christ there, all relationships change. 
And I just think, I just find that so stunning. And you know what? I didn't understand how to begin this. I kept hearing this. I kept studying the theology. And, I, and so, you know, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I couldn't understand how to, get, how to begin it. It not, never made sense to me. I'd sit there and go, how do you have a relationship with, you know, something that you came and see? Something, you know, what's the deal here? Matthew describes when Jesus gives his very first sermon. True sermon. Now, you know what? If Jesus is given a sermon, you might want to pay attention to it. So he sits down on a mountain and begins a sermon that begins with what we commonly refer to as the Beatitudes. Beatitude comes from the word blessed, from the Latin word for blessed. That's why it's called Beatitude. And what's he start off with? So, he starts off with, we'll get it up there in a second. It's, I'll tell you what, I'll just read it real quick. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. Now, first of all, if any of you ever take a course in homiletics, preaching's important. Okay. He opened his mouth and began to, to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What a stunning statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's not a single future tense in the whole sentence. Everything is already happening. And I sat there and went, well, who's the poor in spirit? And I came to learn, see, I thought poor in spirit, you know, because this is important. This is the very first principle of the kingdom and, I, and relationship. Because he does these seven characteristics of those in relationship with him. And I'm sitting there going, this is the first one. So I should be able to handle this one. I get the image of someone who's just sad and depressed, something like that. Actually, what it is, it's the recognition that we don't have it in ourselves to be who we were created to be. You know what? It even goes so far as to say, I don't have it in myself to even meet my standards, let alone God's. So this is, this is way deeper than recognizing that I fail. What it recognizes, I can do nothing else but fail without God. That's poor in spirit. And it doesn't substitute humility with cowardness. Instead, what it does is to be humble in our fears and in our lack. Who qualifies as poor in spirit? You know, this is not comprehensive, but I got a few. I say anyone that admits that he is sinful and rebellious toward God is poor in spirit. That admission puts you in a place of poor in spirit. Anyone that's at the end of their rope in a state of helplessness without God, you're poor in spirit. Anyone who realizes that just doing life without God is tough. It can be frustrating. It can be joyless. You can have moments of happiness. You went on vacation. You went to a wedding. <coughs> but as a characteristic of life, it's not joyful. It's anyone that's in a spiritual rut. Yeah, Christians can get into ruts. And you're just wanting a deeper relationship with God. That makes you poor in spirit.
And I'll, the last one I put down here was, it's all that humbly seek God to grow in understanding and experience with him. Anyone that wants to seek the reality of God in their life is poor in spirit. So quite frankly, unless you're really, really prideful and arrogant and so totally self-reliant, anyone can be poor in spirit. Actually, if you're, you're prideful and you're saying, Lord, I'm prideful and I want to be, anyway. <laughs> the beauty is, here's, the, here's, the, here's what's really, this is the part that really got me. It doesn't say, and if you do this, this, and this, then I'll bless you, then I'll have you in the kingdom. It's saying just come right as you are. It's saying you don't have to have it all together. This foundational step is actually a step in just emptying ourselves to be allowed to be molded by him. And that's really what we're, he's talking about. We want to empty ourselves that he fills us with everything. Being blessed then by God is God's approval lavished upon us. This came to me and I wrote it down. It's the gracious and saving effect of God's favor providing life, joy, and satisfaction in the experience of God's saving and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It's a, see, blessedness is not, I bless you. See, we throw that around. I heard my wife sneeze. Everyone, bless you. See, that's, that's, it's deeper than that. It's a deep reality of God. And so when you're poor in spirit, he risks to bless you. He is blessing you. The moment you say, God, I am poor in spirit, the blessing has begun. This is what's crazy. So if you say, God, I'm in a spiritual rut. I'm not getting this anymore. I've been the same place I was last year. I'm in a rut. I need something here. He meets you there and blesses you. I mean, think about this. See, we don't understand this on a human level. If I went to my wife and go, honey, you know what? I'm kind of in a rut with you. She's not going to go, well, bless you. <laughs> but God is. He understands the cry of our heart. He's not taking offense that you're in a rut. He's taking it as I got to rescue someone that doesn't really know me like he should. That's what's so incredible about this. It's a condition that exists. It's something that is. So whether our circumstances tell us differently, whether our feelings tell us differently, when you come to him poor in spirit, you are blessed. And there's no stopping it. God has done it, and you are blessed. And I want you to hear something. And this is the part that messed me up. You want, I'm going to tell you why 90% of us well, me. You guys never did this. 90% of us left church because most of us thought God wanted and expected something from us. That I had to do this or do that. I had to jump through some hoops and quite frankly, I didn't like the looks of those hoops. And God said, I don't want anything from you. I want everything for you. What, who, who you know, why do we have this perception? I don't know. It's, we've been tricked into this. God calls himself father, but he's not saying, you know, you're an adult now. It's time for you to send me a check every month. What father does that? I mean, unless you want to do it voluntarily because dad's having a hard time. I'm talking about someone who's expecting you to pay him. 
because I raised you, pay me. That's not God. He's saying, what else can I do for you? How else can I make your life deeper and greater? And I don't, I, I, I walked away because I thought, I can't do all this stuff. You made it sound like I had to do all this stuff all the time. I had to be here and I had to give this and I had to do this. And, to be, and I had all these appointments and all this other stuff. I forgot who in the world I was even praising because I thought, I've got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. He want, he's saying, you know what? You feel miserable? Bless you. Because you came to me. That's, a, that's a, the most remarkable thing I've ever heard of. That he wants to be in relationship so much that that's, you know, that's the, that, he doesn't say you have to be, you know, pure in spirit. Doesn't say you have to be a peacemaker. This is the first step. Come in here and come in and be this. I just, the more you read that, that, that little tiny, tiny verse, it's, it's mind blowing. You see, he doesn't want you to be smaller so he can be bigger. What he wants you to be is huge in the kingdom so you magnify him. He's fine. He doesn't need to be made bigger. He wants you to be all that he created you to be so that, <coughs> so that you're an absolute blessing to all of his creation. That's why he wants to bless you. He wants to lift you up out of wherever you are in your poor of spirit spot. Whatever that is for each of us is different and say, be impactful in my kingdom. No, you don't want to be, you don't want to be the star. He's the star. What you want to be is the truck driver that brings the star into the neighborhood. And that's a cool job. It really is. Because it's in that you're relational. But something else happens. You can't be a kingdom person and do it on your own. Being on your own is not kingdom. That's some hermit on a hill. He's saying, when you're in relation with me, you're going to be in relation with my created, my, the ones I love the most. And so here we are. That's, so if you're poor in spirit, you're in the right place. This is right where you need to be right now. Because he wants to engage in a relationship with you starting right where you are. He's not waiting till you become this. He never says, I will love you if. He never says, I will love you because. So if you, op if you have the biggest church in the world with 5,000 people, well, that's not the biggest church in the world, but if you have a big church, he doesn't love you any more than the person that stands outside trying to decide whether to walk into that door and thinks I'm unworthy to do so. He loved, there's no one that's excluded from his love. He's loved, he wants to offer you all his love, all of his forgiveness. He offered his very essence, his very being to dwell in you. I've just, I, I look at this, I'm like, I, I, I know I, See, see, sometimes I overthink things. I keep studying this. I keep looking at it. That's just not possible. 
I realize it again. It is. But you know how this works. Is if you, if you go through the Beatitudes, I, and I recommend just take it back, go back and read them one more time. It's just short, just seven little things. Eight, actually, there's eight, because the eighth one kind of like wraps it up. It's not you go from step one and then go to step two. It's sort of like how, how many people here ever go to the gym and lift weights? Oh, all of you did. Okay. All right. You ever see the, okay, how many people have ever seen someone lift weights? I, I'm good at that. Okay. You see the guy that first goes to the gym, he's never, hasn't been there ever, or maybe he hasn't been there for years and years and years. He goes up to the bar, he puts a plate on each end, and he says, that's my poor in spirit. And he starts working out with that one. But when he gets stronger, he doesn't take the plate off. He adds more to him. So we take our poor in spirit and we add to it. Or if you use the machines, you put the little peg into the top one, then you put it down below. The top one is still sliding up and down. Because we're building on this, this is foundational. So we don't go from poor in spirit to something else. We're always poor in spirit because we're, the more God reveals himself, the more we come to understand him, the more we seek him, and the more we realize, I know so little about this God that created me and loves me. And, and now I've got to step in again. And now I'm going to go to the state of mourning about my sin. And I understand only he can take care of that. Then I can go to the next step. So I'm never coming out of the state of this state. So stop acting like you're not poor in spirit. We're broke. We're spiritually bankrupt. It's time to, to say, bless me. And then receive it. Because the blessing then makes us heirs to the kingdom. And it's, it's there, it's where we share in our citizenship in the reign and rule of God. God sends us his very spirit to live with us. And then that spirit empowers us to make this blessing a reality. The, that Holy Spirit blesses us to make the revelation of who he is in us something that we can kind of get a grip on a little bit and then start that mustard seed. Because then it grows. And if you crush it, put it on a hot dog and then just ingest it and let it grow some more. <laughs> I'm joking. But you know, it's interesting that he uses that because the mustard seed was the mustard plant, which forms sort of like a tree or a bush, so to speak, kind of a tree. It was a weed. It was considered ugly. It was considered a, a, a pest in your garden. Let's be a pest in this world by being light. Because everybody else wants to go to sleep. That's what Paul talks about that all the time. The thief in the night. Because they're asleep. And we're going to be the light. We're going we're to try to wake some people up. And so that's what we're doing in the kingdom. So you don't have to wait till you're no longer poor of spirit because you're always going to be poor of spirit. You right now are the most perfectly designed evangelist God has ever created because Christ is in you and you are in him and you have merged in this love affair of him with you and you with him. And now your wife is in with you and you with him and you're all together. Now you bring another friend and now this weaving begins and this tapestry starts to come and a picture comes of the kingdom that God has placed you in.
Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And there we stand in his presence and we just say, Hallelujah. Because God loves me just as I am. And he's going to now put me on the, in, on the weight machine. And my sanctification is going to start to happen. Not because of my will, but because of his will and my ability to yield to his will. And then he will start to break off those things that I said I didn't want to become a Christian about. Because you're going to make it so I can't do this. You're going to make it so I can't do that. Those things will come away as we come into contact with him. And then we'll recognize the damage they're doing. We're going to ask God, take off that coat. Put on a new coat for me. Because before we can't recognize the damage. He, he reveals that for us. We're kingdom people. I just ask this as we, we close in prayer. And, and as, as we get ready to sing this last song, I'm going to ask yourself just for a second. Is, look into your own heart for a second. Are you finding someone that qualifies as poor in spirit? Are you someone that seeks joy and love? And would you love to have the breakthrough of peace in your heart? If that's you, let's just stand now and let's pray for a second. And we're going to, as we get ready to do this next song, I'm going to suggest we do something a little bit different. Let's share in our brokenness, if you will. And let's all sing together up here. Let's, breathe, let's make ourselves all one together. Now, if you want to dance over here, you want flags over there, that's all part of it. But let's just move into union with one another up front as we hear this song. While they're getting ready to do that, let's just pray. Father, I do find myself poor in spirit. But you're so rich in love. And you pour out your grace out of the abundance of your love. And a never-ending love. And the Holy Spirit moves across and moves in us. And when we can see these things, then in that relationship, yes, we can see the kingdom of heaven. Yes, we can join you in the heavenly places. Father, we just ask that we celebrate our baby steps. Father, you celebrate with each and every one of us among each other our glory to glory, day to day, in you, in the Father, and in the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.